0: What attracted me to this meditation practice was uh, the acknowledgement of suffering in this world. And the acknowledgement is in a very um, detailed and precise map of the human heart. Uh, And not only is there acknowledgement of suffering, but also uh, a real clear uh, path to freedom from suffering. Often we come to meditation out of compassion uh, for ourselves, for our own suffering, or for the suffering of others. I know so much of my childhood was spent trying to figure out just the various inequalities around people's, my friends' lives. How some people just didn't have anything and some people had so much. Or maybe some people had a, uh, a lot of uh, material uh, comforts, but a lot of emotional discord in their families. And I tried so hard uh, to understand this, but I couldn't. And I suffered a lot over this. So maybe we might come to meditation maybe not from a lot of our own personal suffering, but certainly from looking out at the world and seeing that the human world can be a very confusing place to come to terms with. The idea in this uh, meditation practice is to have the courage to break through our indifference to suffering. So indifference is pretending that we think things are okay and you know, I think of it as fake acceptance or fake equanimity uh, but actually our heart is di- disconnected or closed off from the pain or suffering in this world. So for example coming in this meditation hall to sit and close your eyes and just face whatever is coming up in your heart and in your body takes a lot of courage. Facing ourselves takes so much courage And the idea behind this is that we are trying to develop wisdom and compassion to be in this human world with more freedom and with more love. So we do it for ourselves, but we also do this for others. We can kind of contrast this approach to life uh, with an ad in a magazine I saw recently which has a picture of a young man in front of this wonderful new truck uh, and it's America's best-selling compact pickup. And it's, uh, he's got his bicycle and he's got his skis and he's got his um, scuba tank and his surfboard and new sneakers. Uh, and he's sitting there and it looks like he's enlightened. He's in a meditation posture. And it says, his name is Josh. <laughs> Josh put a new twist on an old philosophy. To be one with everything, he says, you gotta have one of everything. That that your generation is facing. You're you know, we didn't face that spirituality was becoming so mainstream that it was in all the ads, you know. And it's what is that? Is that enlightenment? They're selling cars with enlightenment? Or is it attachment? I've been um, privileged to go to Upper Burma to teach meditation the past two years. And there's nothing quite like the sunrise there over the Irrawaddy River. And the river is so still in the morning. Uh, that you can't see that it's moving Uh, and these old boats like from other centuries go by one by one and the water is so still that you see the wake that the boats leave perfectly and I can look out and I think it's just like us if you think of our mind and body like a boat when we go through life and we're very peaceful and happy the wake that we leave is also very peaceful and happy. But when we are very irritated or angry or afraid the wake that we leave in life and around us is irritated and angry and afraid. And if the wake is attached and if we're filled with self-centered desire then the wake we're going to leave is one of attachment and clinging and self-centered desire. If we're asleep, <laughs> the wake we leave is one of delusion. We're not paying attention. What kind of a wake do we want to leave? Each moment, each day? And then if we if we really are in touch with our intention to maybe want to be more understanding or wanting to be more kind then how is it that it's so hard. It's really hard to be in this human world and to be peaceful and happy. If we want to understand why there's starvation or so much wealth or wars or people kind of going along as if they're not going to die If we want to understand how wars are started, or perpetuated, we have to look deep in ourselves. You know, the wars start in one individual heart, and it's the same heart as we have. You know, the ignorance in this world isn't outside of ourselves, uh, it starts inside of our own heart, and we can, if we understand that, we'll be less judgmental of the human predicament. We all have our unique story, you know, if we all listen to each other's story, we would be amazed at the range of joy and sorrow of each person in this room. Uh, And these teachings are meant to go deeper than each story, to understand the human heart and mind. In this tradition, the heart and mind are considered the same place. The heart center here is considered heart-mind. Um, The the meditation practice is meant to understand the universality of the mind or the heart. How our suffering on a deep level, uh, the source of it is the same. So if we happen to find ourselves born here as a human being, which we all have managed to do <laughs> mysteriously or not. Uh, we have six sense doors. That's universal. And you might think of the mind as an organ or the heart as an organ so that I, you know, sees, the ear hears, and the mind thinks. So when we come to meditate, uh, we sometimes think we have to get rid of thinking, but that would be like trying to cut our ear off to be liberated. Do we think of cutting our ear off or trying to get rid of sounds to be liberated? Do we try to get rid of uh, sights to be liberated? Do we try to get rid of touch to be liberated? Do we try to get rid of thoughts to be liberated? So these teachings are deep in that we're not trying to get rid of anything to be liberated. We're trying to face the human predicament and learn to be free within it or freedom can't be freedom. Freedom can't be getting rid of anything or getting anything. When we look closely at the human world and the human heart and mind each moment of consciousness is a, is a world of change. There's a stream of change of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And we don't have much control of it over this. So we can kind of rearrange the furniture, but basically it's a given that there's this world of change. Uh, and if that's all you came to understand in an hour of sitting, it would be a lot. Now, we're not talking about, oh, we notice that summer just happened and that maybe a few seconds ago it was winter. Uh, This is a, a, a kind of understanding change on a momentary level. Of seeing how insecure and vulnerable the heart and body really is. When you take away all our distractions, all our props, we're all the same on a deep level and we're all spiritual. We're spiritual at 2 years old, at 10 years old, at 20, at 50. We don't start being spiritual at 15 or 10 or 30. The meditation practice is helping us to see that experience itself is unreliable and that what we tend to do as, as humans, and we need to have a lot of compassion for ourselves, because what we tend to do is, is just be aware of the surface of things, and we try to get happiness out of experience. Because we don't look closely enough, we don't really get that experience is unreliable. So we keep trying to get secure and trying to get happy with something that can't do it, actually for us. And so most humans go through life uh, being somewhat miserable at the least and suffering a lot because there's this reaction to change and they don't even understand why they're suffering. And this is our tragedy as human beings. Uh, If you are around someone who is very enlightened, they're usually very light, not heavy. You know, because they don't, they don't (laughs) take this world to be so solid and real and so um, personal. They see through each being's story and get to the heart of the problem. So this meditation practice is really about the courage to be able to be here with the intention to understand, rather than to judge. And you can see how easy it is to judge. I mean, I can just look out now and say, well, that's a nice blue t-shirt. Oh, I don't know if I like the color yellow. Oh, you know, oh, look at that person's hair. You know, we're judging, 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 judging. And we hear people's stories and we judge. And it takes, again, a lot of courage to, to try to find that deeper place, which is mindfulness. Mindfulness is the intention to understand rather than to judge. It's a non-judgmental attention. And it's the only time when we can really explore. Spirituality ultimately is being able to ask the questions rather than to have the answers. If you can, I'll take, we take questions later. Uh, It's really important to see that I can give a talk, but your wisdom is going to come from your practice. And anything that you get from your experiential meditation practice, no one can take away from you. Thoughts, you know about the world are very different than uh, insight that comes through putting yourself through this process. The way that we can explore purely, Uh, because it is hard to do, is we develop concentration. So don't underestimate concentration. You don't need too much, but too little, you can't see clearly. Uh, So we teach different ways to try to anchor the attention. And the reason for that is because the human mind, and this is universal, tends to be lost in thinking. Somehow we've developed this extraordinary gift to think and think, and think, and think, and think. You know, we're just incredible thinking machines. Uh, I tend to think of my thought process as a radio that's on all the time. And unfortunately, the stations are not (laughs) usually what I want to be happening. You know, and you can tell when you sit down to practice, you try to change the station, but the same stations just keep repeating, and repeating, and repeating. The anchoring of the attention is really just to get um, some hope of getting out of being lost in thinking, out of being so scattered and disturbed. Uh, So thoughts are happening so quickly that it's hard to see them clearly. Uh, Sounds are happening very clearly, but that's usually the first thing we can learn to be mindful of. They're happening slow enough, really, so that if we can take the time to be quiet, we can start learning to be mindful of sound. And then if you learn to be mindful of sound, you can usually start being mindful of the breath. But if you ask yourself, well, why is this so difficult? Actually, physical sensations are moving very quickly. And our attention is usually so gross. Really, our attention is so gross and the breath is so refined, and actually life really is so refined, it's moving so quickly, uh, that it takes some time to learn how to see a breath clearly. So we can't explore if we're not still enough or quiet enough to pick up a sound, because this isn't an idea about the past. We're not learning to have insight about life from 10 seconds ago or two seconds ago. We're learning it from that sound now. And look, it's almost gone. Or we're learning it from that sadness that happened now or that thought, that body pain, not the one in the future, not the one in the past. It's experiential wisdom happening from the present moment. So please really try to have patience with that process of just beginning again. Your mind will wander thousands and thousands of times. That's just what it does. And I really try to treat my thoughts like a background radio. And I've really learned to work at anchoring with the breath. It's usually easier to be with a breath down here because usually all our energy is in our head. You know, so I think of my head as the surface of the ocean. And I think of my breath down here as the anchor. And no matter how, you know, wonderful the thought process is, (laughs) how wonderful my ideas are, or how disturbed and upset I am about something, there's that ability to go down and be in the universal and the absolute. And to have that perspective. That's freedom. You're trying to get that ability to change your relationship from being lost in thinking and hardly here. Lost in the past, lost in the future, to getting your life. You know, it <laughs> it's like if I could just say one thing, try to get your life takes a lot of effort to do this, or you're going to miss your life. It happens very quickly. And it happens so quickly that even if you sit down and try to be here, it's hard to get here. It takes practice. And this is the spiritual part of you. There's not a lot in our um, culture that's c- telling you, "Oh, come on now, you know, forget studying so hard, you know. This is really much more important. Freedom, freedom a deep spiritual freedom is much more important than anything else. You know, you took birth here on this planet for a reason, and we really want you to understand why you're here. So you have your spiritual instructions, but has anybody been helping you know what they are? So hopefully over time you'll start to notice that if you're with the breath for a half a breath, one rising movement, in that moment you're free from mental torment and you're leaving a wake of peacefulness. Or if you're with one step, and you know walking meditation you might think, well what is this, but you walk a lot in your life. And if you learn how to not be so lost in the past and future and to take one step here, You'll be able to do that at home and at school or college. It's leaving a trail of peace versus reactiveness. Do you wanna leave a trail of suffering or do you wanna leave a trail of peace? What's really important is to understand that what we learn to get free with is ordinary. It's not like we're trying to get away from this world to be free you know but we're, we're it's such a pure teaching that's what I love about it. The purity is that we're getting free, free through our own breath, through our own thoughts, through our own emotions. Ordinariness. And so if you have the patience to go through the boredom because the obstacle in meditation practice is boredom. Because your attention is so gross, it takes going through the boredom to get refined enough to do what we're saying. Uh, And when you go through the boredom, and sometimes you feel like you have to die of the boredom, it's really intense, you'll find that an ordinary moment is extraordinary. And actually, each moment is wild, it's ungraspable, it's mysterious. And if it's not mysterious, you're not seeing clearly. So it's funny, isn't it, that we would have the same sound or smell or taste or emotion or thought that would seem so boring and so ordinary. And yet, with a certain kind of quality of awareness that we're trying to develop, it actually becomes ultimately unknown, ungraspable, mysterious. And that's what we're here for, really, is to explore that. So the meditation has two parts. There's the concentration, which is really just coming back. We go off, we come back. We go off, we come back. And that's a training. And it's like anything that you learn to do, whether it's music or art or uh, study, that ability to come back and just concentrate, it's called aiming and connecting. And we do it in anything that we're good at. And you can apply the concentration you get here to be even better at anything you do. That's the good part. But don't forget the other part, because the concentration is a vehicle to your birthright, to your awakening, to your wisdom, to your compassion, to you getting what you're doing here. Uh, So if you miss that the practice is (laughs) more than just anchoring the attention with the breath, you've missed your life. You've missed what you're here for. There's a great Zen master who said, To forget the self is to be enlightened by all things. And so that means that if you forget your self-centeredness for one moment, in that moment you'll be enlightened by the sound that happens, or your breath, or the sadness, or the loneliness, or whatever that's happening in that moment. So that each moment is really our teacher, if we wake up. If you get your birthright, another great Zen master said, Life is like getting into a boat that is just about to sail out to sea and sink. (laughs) You're on your way. (laughs) You're way past 10, you're way past 5. You know, you're out in the boat. You never know when it's going to sink. Don't think that it's going to last forever. Then you'll go to sleep. And you'll wake up right before you die, and go, boy, what did I do with my life? It's really quick. And it's like we forget that we've got this gift called life. It's this precious gift. And we're here to explore, and we're here to explore very deeply. You know, that's what gives life meaning, Uh, and please don't go through life without meaning. It's not worth it. It's sort of like it's wasting all the work that went into having you be okay enough to start sailing out to sea. One of the things that I try to do every day is get in touch with my intention for being here. And it might sound very simple. I sometimes get very busy, as I know you all do. And sometimes it's hard for me to find a half an hour and 45 minutes to sit every day. Although, of course, we would encourage you to do that in your daily life. Uh, But sometimes I don't have that time but I know if I just take a few seconds to get in touch with that wish to try to understand what I'm doing here rather than to judge, uh, it makes a difference. Um, So say for example, one time I had that experience where I was really busy for a few days um, and I don't usually, I'm a very impatient driver uh, and I had so many things to do that day in a long list (laughs) and I went um, to the post office and I was actually I had just left a meditation retreat uh, teaching that I had to rush out to this post office and I was trying to get a parking place and this guy um, cut me off and grabbed the parking place that I had um, deserved. It was, it was my chance. I was there first. Uh, and my first reaction was to pin him into the the parking lot. Like I was so angry and I just like moved over and I like got in his way and I didn't want him you know, he was out out of the car, you know, (laughs) I was like wanting to pin him into the (laughs) parking lot. You know, I was so angry. Uh, and it was like just that moment of remembering that intention, (laughs) you know, to try to understand rather than the judge stop me from doing something really unskillful that I would have <laughs> <really> regretted. <laughs> uh, you know, so maybe you don't get that angry. I'm the type of person who's very impatient and my first reaction is to be really angry. And so if I don't have that training, that deep intention to go, now, I don't need to cause more suffering. The impatience itself is so painful. Um, So maybe you don't understand the relationship always between coming in this hall and maybe sitting here through some physical pain or emotional pain or mental pain and being able to go out in the world and be kinder. But there's a great relationship to understanding your own heart and mind and being able to be out in the world with more peace. It's like um, you're going through Kosovo, for example. You know, it's like that is one of, for, in your hearts, one of the first major wars, although there have been others you've lived through. Um, I've lived through many more. And it, it's so painful. If, we're, if our heart is open, And what I'm saying is that it's so easy to look outside ourselves and judge that and say, oh, isn't that terrible? How could people do that? But actually, if you listen to each of our minds on a loudspeaker in this hall, say each of us volunteered for one sitting to have our mind broadcast live, <laughs> would you volunteer? <laughs> I would volunteer if it was anonymous, <laughs> um, but it would be humiliating. And that's it. You know, no one would volunteer if it was not going to be anonymous. Uh, it's really important to get that relationship between our inability to face change and all the pain and suffering in this world. So that the basic detail is that when something unpleasant happens our conditioning is to push it away with anger or to withdraw with fear. And if something pleasant happens our conditioning is very deep, human, it's human, to hold on to it so we can't lose it. And this is how the Buddha taught that we suffer universally on a deep level uh, it's that inability to let life flow. You know, so we can say, you know, go with the flow. Or we can say, let's go for the ride. You know, and that's, that's really important to get that, yeah, we want to do it. But remember, it's not as easy as you think. There's a reason why the human world (laughs) is so messed up. It's because us humans find it hard to do what I'm saying it's hard for us to go with how life is. It's hard for us to understand the human world. What I really appreciate is that you're starting now. I've been teaching since 1981 and sometimes I get someone who's 83 or 85 and they come in here for the first time and they get, oh my God, you know, what did I do with my life? And I had a woman for three months come in every interview, every other day, and cry and say, "It's too late," you know. And I'd say, "You know, maybe if you just, you know, start now, you know, you'll have some time. Maybe you can do a lot." Uh, but it is harder when you get older. I'm 47. My body hurts much more than it did when I started. You know, I put in a lot of years, in my early years, and I don't regret it, because I had the energy. And if I was starting now, I'd think, well, it's it's good, I'm glad I was starting now, but it's harder when you get older. And don't think, don't let anyone tell you, wait till you're 30, or wait till you're 40, or wait till you're 70. That's not it. It's, it just, it's just uh, when you have the energy and you have the ripeness and you have the motivation, go for it. It might sound, from what I'm saying, that if the reacting mind does come up like fear, or anger, or attachment, or lust, or whatever, that something's wrong with that. And please try not to make that value judgment or the mistake. It's like that's our conditioned response moment to moment to change. And so the idea is not to try to judge that or get rid of it as much as to start to try to be mindful of it, and to understand it. You know, so in the next few days, the instructions will start moving from being mindful of sound, body, breath, to more thought, emotion, and reactions. Uh, and the only, way, the only thing that melts the ice, is if you, if you think of us kind of like glaciers, uh, and we hear this message, we often think, oh, spiritual journey is to try to get rid of the reaction, that just adds more reaction and more suffering. And so it's like an Aikido move. You learn to uh, see the reaction like, oh, I'm going to pin that guy into the parking lot and go, oh, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> maybe I can try being mindful of that anger and not have to be a victim of it. You know so we don't have to say, oh I'm such a stupid jerk, I shouldn't be having this reaction and I'm a no good lousy person, I hate myself. Does that help? Not usually, that's just more hatred. Um, So try to have that sense with this, that you can start to be liberated, you can be free, and that it just takes that courage to be willing to face how we really are not some idea about how we are. You know, it's like we're facing life as it really is, not how we want it to be. And they're miles apart. I had all these ideas about how I thought humans should be and how the world should be. And I suffered so much over them. And gradually I started to learn to accept how things are, to accept how I am, but also to start to be mindful of it so I'm not a victim of it anymore. So you don't have to be a victim of your own mind. And that's the the teachings that are so liberating. But it does take a lot of passion and ardency to be free. It's worth it. It's worth every knee pain, every back pain, every piece of boredom, you know, I just feel so um, happy and lucky that you're here. So I'd like to end with a um, a poem someone sent me. When I was young um, there was a lot of suffering in my family and uh, there was a neighbor who kind of It seems simple what she would do, but she used to just invite me over sometimes uh, for cookies. And she would have a conversation with me. And though we were many years apart, it's like she treated me as her friend, and we're still friends. Um, And she really saved my life. And she sent me this poem, so I thought I'd read it. It's a He's from Bermuda, but moved to Nova Scotia recently. His name's Jeremy Frith. And the title of the poem is the most fun part. It's, um, Oh God, I wish this ignorance would stop. (laughs) Don't you wish that (laughs) in in this human world? Oh God, I wish this ignorance would stop. But unfortunately, it starts with us doing the work. The Dancing Stick Some sticks for lofty talk are made, some for walking, some for shade. Crooks and croziers each crafted for a certain use, but this, this moonstruck feathered shaft, all bright belled and spotted, polka dotted up and down, wrought by Ansley's white witch for all occasions, a moon stick, a tune stick. One which, with just a tap, will call forth both bright and night. Will tell tales amidst babble. And close your eyes, meadows bloom in parking lots. This, this is a stick for life. This meditation is a practice for life. It's a way of life. So let's sit for a minute. May we have the courage to be free